Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Stephen Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. I want to take a couple minutes today. This topic that we're we're talking about is um, it's the foundation of our whole walk with God. Everything that we've built our life on is built upon the foundation of the atonement, uh, the blood of Christ, uh, Calvary, redemption, coming through uh, the sacrifice of another for the atonement for another man's sins. And so when I talk about the blood this morning, I'm talking about something that's running through my own veins. That blood that Jesus shed was his life. And Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. In other words, the, the life that I'm talking about isn't just the life that you have when you're born. I'm talking about a life that has greater capacity for eternity. So I think I'm going to go ahead and start. <clears throat> Buenos dias, hermanos, hermanas. Como esta usted? Bien, good. Gracias, good. Leviticus, the 17th chapter, and the poor person that's doing my scriptures is probably, oh, look at all those scriptures. We're going to take our time and we'll cover what we can cover in the time that we have. And I'm going to start with Leviticus, the 17th chapter. <clears throat> Let's, let's pray before we start. Let's, this is such a, I pray that the Lord enlightens us to the, the, not just the importance, but to the seriousness of this topic. Lord Jesus, today I pray that you would anoint my mind and the minds of those that are here, Lord, that we could understand the ramifications of Calvary and of the blood atonement, of the sacrifices that occurred from the very first sin, from the time of Adam, all the way to Calvary. Now, Lord, I pray that um, you would speak to our hearts, and I pray that you would be glorified in what's about to be shared. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Leviticus 17.11, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. In other words, there's only one thing that can make uh, atonement for sin, and that is the blood of a perfect lamb. Now, I find it interesting. I, I, it, it, it's kind of unique because before I taught this lesson this morning, I, I taught this topic over at, at the Regency to a group of my seniors, and I thought I would have got a completely different response from them than I would from a younger generation because the older generation had a lot more of the songs of the blood in them. Yeah, but the new generation sort of swayed away from uh, the blood of Christ. A lot of the new songbooks don't even have any songs about the blood. But do you remember when you got saved? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We don't, we don't sing some of those songs like we used to, but... 
I thought they would remember, but they were so surprised that I wanted to talk on the topic of blood, of blood atonement. And again, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness or remission of sin. So from Genesis to Revelation, you can follow man's need for redemption. Even Adam's sin, and even though they tried to cover up, cover it up with something that was temporary, you ever wonder how long those leaves last? They tried to cover up their nakedness with something that wouldn't last very long, that the leaves would dry out, and every day they'd be trying to cover it up with new leaves. Your works are like that. You can try to cover up your wrongs by trying to do rights, but you constantly have to replenish those works over and over again because they don't last. But God wanted to show them that they needed something more permanent than leaves. And so the innocent animal died for the guilty person. Hebrews, the ninth chapter, verse 22. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. Now, we talk about this word remission a lot in our salvation. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. So right from the get-go on this lesson, I want to connect remission and blood. Baptism, and I'll say this over and over again, is our connection to the blood that provides atonement. Without the baptism, now I, I, I'm going to go back to these verses too. Baptism doth not also save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but answer of a good conscience toward God. That baptism is our connection to the blood which provides atonement for sin. So what we're talking about this morning when we're talking about the blood of Calvary is we're talking about the very key that unlocks the door from the judgment of sin or death. That's how important the blood is. The life of your body is your blood. Genesis, the ninth chapter, verse 4. But flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall ye not eat. But flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, ye shall not eat. And of course, we've, we've been taught and to abstain from the blood of, of the meat that we eat, because that's the life of the animal. Then if you go down to Leviticus, the 17th chapter, verse 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. So of the sacrifice that was placed on the altar, what was it in the sacrifice that pushed ahead man's condemnation or judgment? It was the life, or it was the blood of the animal. It was the blood of the animal. Now, when I go back to John, the sixth chapter, and I try to relate to where this all fits into what Christians teach, or what the gospel teaches, I find Jesus going back in reference to this Old Testament principle. In John, the sixth chapter, verse 53 and verse 54, 
Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Verse 54. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So do you see blood and life connected in these verses? Eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood, well, he will, that person will have life. Well, if the life is in the blood, and I drink his blood, or I ingest his blood, not from a cup, but I partake of his blood, I'm ingesting into my spiritual man life. I'm taking on to myself eternal life. Jesus said, I am the resurrection, I am the life. If a man be dead, if he believeth in me, yet shall he live. I take into my spiritual body life through the atonement, through his blood. Now, if I flip the coin over and I look at it from a different angle, if I do not take part of the atonement, do I have life? No, I don't see any connection. If the life is in the blood and you have not the blood, how can you have life? You can, you can cover yourself with a skin, which is the, the remains of something that once had life. But the only thing that can give you eternal life is the blood of Christ. You go back and you look at some of the redemptive examples in the Old Testament that God allowed us to see. Genesis, the 22nd chapter, and I, I'm not going to read this, but it talks about Abraham. He finally got a son, his own son. It was the son of promise, and then God said to him, take your son, your only son, and I want you to take him to a place that I'm going to show you of, and I want you to sacrifice your son, your only son. I don't want to wander too far away from this topic, but it doesn't refer to Ishmael as Abraham's son, even though God did acknowledge Ishmael because he told Ishmael that he would bless him because he still was of Abraham's loins, but not of Sarah's. Ishmael was separated from this because he was born in unbelief. He that cometh to God must first believe that he is and he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Ishmael was not part of belief. He was a part of unbelief. She, they, they did, Sarah and Abraham did not believe that God was going to give them the promise, and so he was the child of unbelief. He that believeth and is baptized. In other words, before the atonement can have an effect on you, before the blood can actually enter into the veins of your spirit, you must be born of belief. You have to believe. You have to believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So Abraham brought his son. Well, wasn't that a type of God robed himself in flesh and became a man? And it referred to the spirit of God, the omniscient spirit as the father and that which was born of Mary as the, the son of man or the son of God. He was illustrating the fact that he was going to come and give himself a sacrifice for the redemption of others. We go back and look at Exodus, the 12th chapter, verse 3. 
We look at the Passover, how it's instituted. Speak unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. Then going down to verse uh, 13. Now you're going to take this lamb, you're going to watch it for four days, and then you're going to, if there's no imperfection in it, you're going to slay the lamb and you're going to take the blood of that lamb and apply it to the doorpost. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. So... What, what, what were they putting on the doorpost of their heart of, or of their home if we want to look at it according to the scriptural revelation? They were putting life on their home. The life is in the blood. They're taking the life of that lamb that they slayed and they're putting it on the doorpost of the house. And the Bible says that when the death angel comes, he will look at the life that is on the doorpost or the blood that's on the doorpost and he will pass over you. Now, we, is, is baptism is the, actually the point where we identify with the work of atonement. We're looking at the work of Calvary. When Jesus died on the cross, his blood was shed. He was the lamb which taketh away the sins of the world, as John said in, in, in his gospel. It was shed, but that's where I get my blood. See, I can't find blood anywhere around here that, that's, that'll suffice. Now, we all have blood, and our, our blood is the life of our body right now. That's one of the things that's keeping us alive. But there are blood diseases, like leukemia and things like that, where the blood becomes tainted, and the person can actually die from a blood disease. So the blood that I have in itself is not perfect. Because it's in a body that's not perfect. Spiritually, I've sinned. I've fallen short of the glory of God. I have let God down. My blood is not able to provide the antidote or the, the, the protection of judgment. So I have to go to a place where the blood is pure. And that's where there's only one place that I can find the blood that I need to provide the cure for my situation. And that blood is Jesus Christ. Now, people are very practical in our generation. They, want to, they, they try to be very scientific. They want conclusive, foundational answers. Tell me exactly, I don't understand. I want to know the mechanics of this. Well, Jesus died 2,000 years ago. I can't go back and get a hold of his blood and apply it to my heart. So God made a way for me to identify with his work without having to find a time machine to take me back to Calvary. He said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to identify with my death. Romans 6 says we are buried with him in baptism. And if we're buried in the likeness of his death, we will also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Now, we know that the resurrection is, was life. My spirit is life. And he, Jesus said, I am the resurrection. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. For me to get the life 
eternal life that I need, I, according to Scripture, have to go back and take part of the work of atonement. And you know what? I don't need to go to Jerusalem to go there. I don't need to go down to, to a hill called Golgotha. I can identify with his death and repentance. I can go down into the waters of baptism, and that's where the blood is applied in the transaction of redemption. That's why the Bible says, baptism doth now also save us. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. Baptism saves me because it provides the antidote for the curse of sin. So when people say, you really don't need to be baptized, what they're, they're, they're speaking against everything that the Bible stands for. All the sacrifices, all the way from the book of Genesis, all the way up to the time of Calvary, those sacrifices pushed away ahead man's sin. It never solved the problem. It pushed it ahead. And then when Jesus died and he provided that perfect blood, they're saying, well, you don't really need that. Well, then why did they sacrifice all the animals? I, I like the picture in Leviticus, the 16th chapter, verse 22. It talks about two goats. And here it says, The goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities into a land not inhabited, and he shall let go of the goat in the wilderness. See, they would take two goats. And if you want to go back to Leviticus, the 16th chapter, and look at the story, one goat was slain. Its blood was placed on this other goat, and all the sins of Israel were placed upon the goat, and it was sent out into the wilderness a place where it could not be found. Christ bore the sin of the guilty. Isaiah 53 and 11, Jesus really bears all my iniquities. He see, shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many for he shall bear their iniquities. See, the process that takes place in the waters of baptism, if it's done properly, remember, it's got to be done properly. It's not just jumping into a tank any more than it was just running into the tabernacle and uh, in the Old Testament and doing anything that you want. You had to follow a process. If it was done properly, the, the, the sin was removed by the atonement of the blood. So that when the person came out, the life of the body of the, how do I say this? The life of the blood of Christ provided the cure for the curse that was in my own body. I'm alive. I'm alive forevermore. And I think the older you get, the more you realize how uh, mortality has its way. You know, when you get older, you realize that this body wasn't designed to live forever. But when I went to Calvary and I took part of the atonement, what I brought into my soul and my spirit was eternal life. The soul that sinneth, it shall die, the Bible says. 
But when I take the blood, my soul doesn't die. It lives forever. And I think I look at the writings of Paul. He says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. In other words, I've, I've ingested into my spiritual man through the atonement of Calvary, eternal life. His blood brought eternal life. Again, I mentioned this verse earlier, John 1.29, but we'll go ahead and read it now. John sees Jesus coming down to the water, waters of the Jordan, and he seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Now, some people will misinterpret this. They'll say, well, when Calvary took place, there was no need of baptism anymore because he took away the sin of the entire world. In other words, all man's sins are forgiven because he took all the sin of, the, of everyone away. Thus, why be baptized? You don't need to be baptized. It's already been taken care of. Do you believe that? Of course not. The Bible says, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that cometh to me, I will in no wise turn out. The atonement was made available for the entire world. It was made accessible for every man and every woman and every child and every country throughout, from out, throughout time. There's no, there's no excuse for someone not to be able to have access to the atonement blood of Christ except their refusal. So when I look at the blood in the Old Testament typology, I can see it in the Passover. How about in 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, verse 7? Purge out therefore the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you are unleavened, for even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Now, if I, I take this scripture from Paul, Paul literally, which we have to do because it's inspired, if the Passover in the Old Testament needed to be obeyed precisely as Moses instructed them to do it. And if it was not done exactly as it prescribed, they would have died. If Christ is my Passover, shouldn't I follow his instructions exactly as Israel followed Moses' instructions? And I, I know this is about baptism and but you can't separate baptism from atonement. Because every one of the great commissions in, in throughout Scripture talks about baptism being linked to his death. Go ye out into all the world and baptize every creature. He that believed, Mark 16, he that believeth and is baptized. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they all bring in the Scripture of atonement. I go back and I even look at Rahab. That's kind of a unique story. I relate more to Rahab than I do to the Jews in Israel. I mean to the Jews in Egypt. Because I wasn't Hebrew. But here Rahab, she's not a Hebrew. And God made provision for this woman through an act that she performed for the spies of Israel. Let's see if I can um, find the scripture that I want to read here. 
Um, Joshua, the second chapter, verse 14. And the men answered her, Our life for yours, if you utter not this our business, and it shall be when the Lord hath given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. And verse 18. Behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window which thou didst let down us down by, and thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's house home unto thee. And it goes on to say, if you don't bring them home and they're outside your house, or if anyone is outside your house where the scarlet ribbon is, their blood will be upon their own heads. But if they are in this house with the scarlet ribbon, identifying where the, our uh, commitment, God's commitment to you, his contract to you, and if any harm come to them, then it will be upon our heads. So the scarlet ribbon was an act of atonement for Rahab and her family. As long as they stayed in the house where the scarlet ribbon, the type of blood, was portrayed, they were safe. As long as the people stay in the church where the blood of Christ is, even though the walls of the world are falling all around them, as long as you stay, even if you're frightened, in the place that God has placed you in the body of Christ, where the atoning blood is, you'll be safe and have life. So Rahab, actually, she becomes part of the lineage of David. Becomes the great-great-grandmother of David. So I can relate to her. I walked into the, the lineage of the church. I wasn't born into it. God engrafted me into it. You know, when I look at baptism, and I, I'm, I'm watching my clock, I don't want to wander too far around, but um, even with Abraham before the law, God instituted a program called circumcision. And... Um, he said, all males will be circumcised. And so, if you were not circumcised, and you were a male, you were not allowed to be part of the nation of Israel, because that was what identified, identified you with the covenant of Abraham. Do you remember when, I, I, I had a hard time uh, seeing this when I first saw this, when I read about Moses. Remember the burning bush and God spoke to him and said, oh, I'm going to send you back to Egypt and you're going to set my people free and I'm going to give you power over, over um, Pharaoh and great works are going to be done and all these promises and Aaron's going to be your spokesman and go forth and in my name I am that I am. Even on his way, as good a man as Moses was, God sought to slay him. And when I first read that years and years ago, I thought, wait a second, this must be a typo. You know, this can't be right. He's speaking to Moses here in, in the beginning of Exodus, and he's given him a great commission. What a great honor. 
but he had not circumcised his son. And so God doesn't care who you are or what job you have in the church or what promises he's given you. Unless you obey his commands, you're his enemy. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. So it doesn't matter how much you know or how much you do or, or what education you have. If you do not obey the concept or the principles of aton the atonement, and I'm looking at the atonement, you're not God's friend. Especially, God forbid, if you teach others that they don't need to. Uh, 1 John uh, chapter 1, verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. His blood has the ability to cleanse me from all sin. Now, this takes place after the initial act of atonement in your life. Let me give you back, walk backwards a little bit. You come to church. You feel the presence of God. You realize that God loves you and that he cares about you. You see yourself as he sees you and you feel dirty. You feel like you have betrayed him by the way that you've lived. And so you repent of those sins. You ask God to forgive you. And then you wash yourself in the waters of baptism and you meet God in the act of atonement or in the act of Calvary. His blood now removes all of those things that had caused your blood to be impure. He gives you a transfusion of perfection. But guess what? I still got that human nature. I still got some of that human blood in me. So I'm going to continue to let God down. We should all be going like this because we've all let God down. But this scripture tells me that that blood continues to have the ability to remit or cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Those red blood cells, if I could use them spiritually, those white blood cells that came from Christ's sacrifice, they have the ability in a spiritual sense to fight the antibodies of sin in my own nature. That blood continually helps me to overcome the old, the old works of the flesh. And if that isn't enough, God said, then he fills you with his spirit. And you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost comes upon you. And you shall be witnesses of me in Jerusalem and Judea and all the, unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Now I have the ability to help bring people to the place of atonement through the unction of God's spirit or power. You know, there's something about 
um, listening to an anointed sermon. You ever do that? Sometimes you get a blanket, you cuddle down, and you, you, you're all excited about the sermon you're going to put on, and you're saying, oh, yeah, this is, this is going to be good, and you wrap up. Because the anointing that comes through the Word of God infuses into the person that hears it faith. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So that this act of atonement not only purifies my old nature and cleanses me, but God gives me the power to spread faith and unction to others to bring them to Calvary to the atonement. Now to sort of wrap all this stuff up together this morning, my job on earth is this. My job is to be like John the Baptist, to decrease in myself and to point others to Christ. It's my job is to lead people to the perfect sacrifice that can give them life. All of the other things are extracurricular activities. They're nice. But the blood atonement is the most important place for a person to visit because without it, they are void of life or void of eternal life because they're void of his blood. I look at our, our church here and I, I think of some of the most uh, sacred places in this sanctuary. The first sacred place is the altar. And we've just went through the tabernacle and we realized the importance of the altar, the place of death and dying. But even more important than the altar is that baptismal tank over there. Because if a heart is broken and a spirit is open and humble and contrite, in that water a miracle takes place. Some people say, where are the miracles? <laughs> Look over there. Because that brings the miracle of the atonement into the life of the person that participates in it. And I'll, I'll never forget the, the night I was baptized. I didn't understand the atonement. I, I had that guy for a Bible study teacher. He didn't know anything. <laughs> I mean, he was just, I'll be kind to him. It's just a couple weeks. You had just maybe a month that he'd been coming to church or maybe a little longer and I had no idea of all the importance in baptism. I just knew I needed to do it. And I'll never forget how I felt that night when I came out of the water. 12 midnight. Bong. Here I come out of the water. And I felt new. I felt like God had given me a new life. I felt so thrilled about it. And I realized how precious it was that I wanted to start getting rid of things without anybody even telling me that were bad because I didn't want to get it dirty. You ever have a new car? I think I've had a couple. I finally got my new car a while back and I didn't want anybody getting it dirty. I didn't want anybody putting their feet up on the dashboard Nothing like that because it was precious. It was a precious car to me. 
That's how I feel when I came to God. I don't want to get it dirty. I'm so proud of it. I'm so proud of Christ and what he's done for me. I don't want to defame him. I love him so much. Do you love him? I want other people to find the same love that I found. And it's found in atonement. Lord Jesus, this morning, thank you for the time we've had together. Thank you for the blood that cleanses us of all sin. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.